0: We are here with Mary Beth Barone. I'm here. MBB. Mm -hmm. The real MBB. Not the fake MBB. Mm -mm. And we're in the East Village in your apartment. Yes. Tell me more. Okay. I'm from Connecticut originally. Great. Stanford
1: to be specific because everyone wants to know where. I don't know why. When I say I'm from Connecticut, they're like, oh, what part? And I say Stanford and then they're like, cool. And then that's the end. Um, So I'm from Connecticut originally. I've lived in New York for eight, almost eight years and I've been in the East Village for most of that time. I love the East Village. It is the loudest place you could ever live as far as I'm concerned, but it's it's to the point where that actually soothes me. I, I sleep better with noise. What do you do? I'm a comedian, a stand-up comedian specifically, and I write and I act and I do all the things that you have to do now because you can't just be one thing. Uh, and I enjoy all of those things, which is great, but my main thing that I'm that I do regularly is stand up comedy.
0: And how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for about three years. Okay, so when you graduate, where did you go to college? I went to Boston College. Did not graduate. Cool, edgy, yeah, I'm edgy, super
1: edgy. I know the the listeners can't see me, but I I am super edgy. And you, I mean, you're you wearing would, a Kith sweatshirt. Definitely shirt. that for my <laughs> light pink Kith shirt. Um, I went to Boston College for two years. I was studying to be an English teacher. And then I just realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I have jokes about this. But when you actually learn what it takes to be a teacher, it's like a lot of bullshit. And I just realized that that wasn't kind of what I wanted. So I yeah, just not for me. Um, so I moved to I moved home and I was going to transfer to Parsons to do fashion marketing. And then I ended up I worked at Sephora for a little bit in Greenwich, which was a journey. Because I thought I wanted to be a makeup artist. Then I got a job at Warby Parker when it was like really small still. I was like one of 50-ish employees. I ended up just not going back to school. So
0: I worked at Warby for about three and a half years, four years before I started comedy. And then you were like, fuck this. I know what I really want to do. I want to be an English makeup artist, Warby, glasses-wearing comedian. Yeah, all those
1: things. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just take all my experience. I thought, what's the perfect thing? That I can just wrap this up and,
0: you know, put a bow on it. Comedy. You know, I went through all your YouTube videos and you were talking about, like, white privilege mm-hmm. with the comedy. Yeah. So you're just, like, channeling that? I think it's funny because I feel like, to me, that, that aspect of
1: my comedy, it's just – it's who I am. So it's just funny because a lot of people, like, cite that. And I think that's great because it really is, like, I want to – shed light on a lot of things through my comedy and I'm not one of those people that thinks like stand-up comedy is going to change the world you know but I I grew up very like sheltered and privileged so I think the only way as a privileged person the only way to kind of like use it for good is to talk about it and shed light on it and like make it funny because it is I mean it is like ridiculous the things that being from I'm sure New Canaan and also Stanford you just
0: You just have a completely different upbringing. Totally. It's interesting because, right, there's so many instances where white privilege, you try to hide it and Mm -hmm. you try to mask it and, like, don't want people to know about it. But what can you do? That's who you are.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing, especially because I've been thinking about just, like, the structure of a set, right? So what they say is that your first joke should address the elephant in the room. And to me, even Mm -hmm. though I could just be, you know, a white person from anywhere, Like, being from Connecticut was so formative. And a lot of the things that are funny, like, thoughts that I have are real. Like, I truly had never met a Jewish person until high school. So I have jokes about that. Like, I just, I think I have to talk about it because that's really who I am. And I, I didn't really know about privilege even until I moved to New York and saw... I, that was part of the reason I didn't really like Boston College was because mm-hmm. it was basically like going to Greenwich Catholic School again, which is where I went from K to 8th grade. And I just was like, I don't want to be in such a homogeneous environment. It mm-hmm. doesn't seem, it's not going to serve me. And I don't think it's like real life. Living in New York has been like, and especially doing comedy has been very eye opening, I would say for that type of stuff.
0: So you, I saw you for the first time at this show called Game Night. Mm-hmm. Game show. Game show. Game <laughs> show. I saw you like, what, it was like three weeks ago. Yeah. And you, okay, tell me, I forget what you were, you're the girl. The woman who gets it. The woman who gets it. So for everyone who's never seen it, it's hosted by Matt and Dave, Mm -hmm. Matt Rogers, Dave Dave Mazzoni. The way that it's set up is it's like, it's a game show between two straight men, right? Mm -hmm. And then they have a gay man who's like partners with one of the straight guys and then they have the woman who gets it and we're the lifelines i had never seen it but
1: i got i had a pretty good sense of i've seen a few of the bits before at different shows so i was like kind of had a sense of what was required of me as the woman who gets it they didn't really give us like homework before besides i had to have like a story ready for one of the segments Mm -hmm. um which ended up being so insane just that Men don't listen. Um, There's one segment where they... It's it's called Hear Her. Hear Her. Explain, please. I tell a three to five minute story about something that happened to me that week. And then we literally just ask the two straight men questions and see if they can remember anything I said. It's
0: so funny. And they couldn't. They They couldn't. They really could not.
1: (laughs) And I was super excited to do that show because I think you know, Matt and Dave are so talented. And also it's just such a funny premise to me. Anytime I can put a straight guy on the spot, like I'm so there for it. And uh, I knew that it, it just, it had a very good like energy and
0: I felt like the crowd was really into mm-hmm. it. So those are like the best type of shows to do. Yeah. I was spot. cracking up and it wasn't even like jokes. It was just like people hanging out on stage. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. Where is your head at right now? What do you, are you, is there anything that you can talk about that you're working on? How often are you performing stand up? go into it all that stuff i do stand up probably
1: like four on a on in a good week four or five nights a week some weeks are lighter just depending on like you know where i've been booked but generally it, that takes up most of my evenings which is great and i uh i love it so much and so on the writing end i'm working on a show which is about it's kind of like an unscripted talk show type format um about immigration so it's kind of looking at the political climate through the lens of like a privileged white person and it's a little bit of a heightened character but it's also mostly rooted in truth but i think what what my goal would that would be to just kind of like show people i i think that it's easy to get caught up in like the woke culture where mm-hmm. people think they know everything mm-hmm. i know that i don't know everything mm-hmm. and i want to create a space where i can like ask those questions So I shot a proof of concept for that this summer and I have a treatment for it and I I really believe in the idea so it's just a matter of like who's going to help me make it and that's always quite the process and then right now I'm actually working on a screenplay so those are kind of my two main things that I'm working on right now in addition to the stand up.
0: Where did comedy come from for you?
1: It's so random. I, as a kid, I always thought I wanted to be like an actor or a pop star. You know, like us, I don't know, how, are you 20? You're Jake's age? Yeah. Okay, I'm 27. A lot of people are like weird about their age, so I didn't mean to put you on the spot No, please, let's Uh, tell the world. We'll tell the world. I am 27, I was born in 1981, Gemini, etc. When I was a kid, that was like, that was peak pop star culture. Like Christina Aguilera, Britney... I remember the Spice Girls were very formative. And then obviously I was obsessed with the Olsen twins. So I was like, okay, obviously logical, I'm gonna be an actor mm-hmm. or a pop star. Either one really is fine. Then as I grew up, I kind of realized like that's pretty hard to do. You can't just kind of like say Wake it and do one it. Day. Yeah. yeah. Even if you really want it. And I I thought, all right, I'm just gonna like do something practical. And that's kind of where my head was at for most of my life as an adult. And then I was in a pretty serious relationship when I was twenty. Or I lived with my boyfriend. We were kind of like headed towards engagement and all the things that come with that. And then I, I just had nothing of my like I had no hobbies. I had nothing that I just did by myself. We worked together at Warby. Then we would go home, watch TV, or do whatever. Like it was just very. We were always together. And I thought like I kind of need something that's just my own. So I signed up for an improv class at UCB. I didn't know if I would like it, but I ended up really enjoying it. And then. I kind of continued the improv curriculum. And when I was in 201, I decided to try stand-up for the first time. And I didn't tell – I told my brother and that was it. I didn't tell my boyfriend or anything like that. And I was like, if I bomb, I'll just never do it again. Wait, that's so mazel. It was very mazel. yeah. I was pre mazel I don't watch the show, but I watched the pilot. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to buy a notebook. I'm going to write some stuff down and see what happens. It, yeah, I, pretty much right away I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And within six months, boyfriend and I broke up. I had moved out of our apartment, and um, I quit my job just to kind of, like, figure out what I was going to do. I've gotten a job, again, since then, you know, because living here is expensive. But it what was – What is your job now? I work at Soul Cycle Corporate.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Which is – it's good, and I like my team a lot, and I get to ride for free. So, incredible great. So, wait do you do that every yeah you do that every day from like normal business hours yeah oh incredible it's a lot it's um it's nine to six so it's it's really like a full-blown right time job that's, so you have two jobs
1: yeah and I think a lot of times I am like I'm being a brat and like there's people that work harder than me and I should stop complaining but it is truly like exhausting mm-hmm. to do both
0: I think that is a very cool story and Thank I'm you. really happy and proud of you and like we just met. Thank you so much. But seriously, I think that all incredible projects start when you're like I need to go do something for me.
1: Yeah. And, and- that's
0: when I think you just learn a lot about
1: yourself and you can figure out what's important. Like it sounds so cliché, but I was fully ready to just get married and like have a really quiet, simple life. And then when I found something that... Which, there's nothing wrong with and that. that. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I probably would have been fine if I did yeah. that. You know, but I want more than fine. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really realize that until I saw what that could look like. Mm-hmm. So you didn't tell anybody. Who did your brother come to see you? He didn't come. I I went to an all-women's open mic at UCB East. And I was just like, yeah, if I bomb, I'll never do it again. Right. And we'll see what happens. And you killed it. I had a good, I had a good set. I mean, I had no idea what... Like... I know my jokes were like – I kind of remember the jokes I told at that open mic, but it was – I had no idea what to
0: expect. I actually – it was the same thing. I had graduated college. I was 23, I guess, at the time. And I was like, what? Adult life. You're trying to figure it out. And the difference was being a student versus being an adult was like you'd always have extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. So those were like – your time fillers and where you could really put your energy, whether it was like an after art program or your sport. And it's like you took forward to. Exactly. And it's just something where you can like flex those muscles in yeah. a different way. And, I, too, was like, I'm going crazy inside because I need to do something that I'm going to be happy about. So I, too, did UCB.
1: Yeah. And And it's great. It was truly, for me, like, at first it was such just an escape. Like, three hours once a week where I could just put my phone down. Mm -hmm. And I met so many people from different places, different backgrounds, different, like, levels and goals. And that was really when it became so apparent to me. All the conversations we're having now about, like, inclusivity and diversity – Things like that just really hadn't crossed my mind before. And I think through comedy, I was able to see that so much clearer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's good to do something that kind of puts you out of your element. And obviously, not everyone that's taking Improv 101 wants
0: to be a comedian.
1: And it's kind of cool to just, like, see who maybe they want to get better at public speaking or they want to be
0: more creative. Like, Oh, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. We had, like, a 40-something-year-old married guy in our class who just, like, Wanted to have fun once a week.
1: Yeah. And it
0: is fun. Yeah. Silly,
1: stupid fun. And I think that was a really good taste of it for me. And then once I started stand up, it was like, whoa, this is definitely
0: what I want to be doing. Do you have that when you go on the stage, like eyes on me? Is it, do you like the attention? I do. I'm the youngest of six kids. Are you Italian? We are.
1: Italian and Irish.
0: Oh, it's the perfect storm yeah, for Yeah, it six was kids. definitely <laughs> the perfect storm.
1: So I'm, you know, the youngest. My closest brother in age is three and a half years older. So I think for me, it was always about attention and just like, how do I get my moment? Because there's so many people in my house. Mm-hmm. And I, humor was like very important in my family. A lot of sarcasm, dry humor, like we watched... You know, a lot of Chris Farley movies. My dad had a lot of stand-up records on vinyl mm-hmm. that we would listen to. Monty Python, things like that. I feel like every comedian is like, yeah, I'm super into like the old school, whatever. But I don't know. That that was where I like found comedy. And I also loved I Love Lucy. Like there were a lot of things like that that as a kid I didn't really realize – was forming kind of how I like
0: saw the world. So now that you, when you go up, you get that rush every time. I'm assuming it's
1: like it's kind of sick. Yeah, like it's it's twisted. It's the only thing that brings me joy at this point in my life. And I'm like, it just that's that's it. That's all I want to do. But that's so happy. It is, but it's so like it's just, of of all the things like stand up. Con- you know, it's just like such a grind, and it's late nights, and it's some shows are really amazing, and some shows are terrible, and it's just. Sometimes you bomb and sometimes you kill and it's like you really don't know what you're going to get going up there. And I think for me the last few months I've been really focusing on just like honing my voice and it hasn't like on stage I truly am like the person that I am off stage and a lot of people have said that to me like it's not a character. It's like truly who I am and I've just been thinking a lot about like perception and as a female comedian, I think I put a lot of thought into, like, what I wear, how I'm coming off, how do I open, what topics do I want to really, like, dig into, and what topics do I not want to talk about. And I don't, I'm sure there's some male comedians who do the same, but for me, it's, like, it really is, like, everything you're presenting on stage is taken into account when the audience decides if they're going to like you or if they're going to hate you. Mm-hmm.
0: The gender thing is so real. I studied gender studies oh. in college. And where'd you go? Indiana University. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, so just like, let's tell people how this all happened, Yeah, I guess. So I went to Hebrew school with someone named Jake Saba. Who is dating, famously been dating since high school, one of my
1: best friends, Rachel Zabronsky, right, who right. is a connector, textbook connector, loves to connect people. She connected us. Yes. That's the and story. she's great at that. Yeah. So that is truly,
0: she <laughs> thrives. Yes. doing that. And she loves doing it. Yeah. So we're so happy. Thank you, Rachel. Yes. Thank you, Rachel. So I study gender at mm-hmm. Indiana University. So gender to me is so much part of my life. It's the way that I just like, It's it's kind of like the lens that I see everything through, right? Yeah. Like whether it is humor, whether it's fashion, whether it's just kind of like just culture, the way that I watch people move and everything, I'm like thinking from a gender lens just because yeah. that's like just how I'm conditioned to, period. So- Definitely gender in comedy is something that I've always been like a little bit put off by and a little bit like, what the fuck? This is so unfair kind of thing. And I'm curious to hear how you feel about it and where you stand. And because so many people too are like, women are really having a moment and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, women have only scratched the surface. Yeah. And I don't even think that people understand how conditioned just as a society we are, to sexism and how okay we are with it and just the way that women move through space and the way that women just have to, like, always be 10 steps ahead. You have to be. To course correct. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's so top of
1: mind for me all
0: the time. I think, yes, we are having
1: a great moment right now, but we have had to create the space for ourselves. It's not really like, oh, the current culture had this aha moment and now we're just getting all these opportunities. It's like, no, we're like – creating these opportunities for ourselves. Like I said, every single thing you're presenting to the audience has to be taken into account. And what I've, I've thought a lot about this because it's such like a snowball effect. So if all the people in power at networks and at studios are straight white men, for example, they're going to pick to make what they think is funny. That's what's going to get disseminated to the general population. So that's what they're going to find funny. Mm -hmm. And I think I've come to terms with, There are comedians who I think I know are very talented, but they're not funny to me because that's not the humor that I was like conditioned to find funny. And I think that's okay. And we need more voices and we need the representation has definitely gotten better. But it's a lot of pressure. Like there are still shows where I'm the only woman on the show. So let's say it's like simple math, right? Like if it's a show with 11 comics or 10 comics and nine of them are guys and one of them's a woman. If three of the guys bomb, whatever, majority of the men on the show are still funny. If I bomb to the audience, women aren't funny because the only woman on the show wasn't funny. Mm -hmm. So while it definitely – like I find that audiences sometimes are a little bit relieved when a woman comes on after a lineup of just dudes – because it's like we've heard now the same perspective from like a bunch of people. and uh, But it definitely puts the pressure on to be like, oh, I'm literally speaking for all women right now with my comedy. And if I don't do well, there's people in the audience who are like, oh, yeah, women aren't funny. Because 100% of the women I just saw on the show, which was one, wasn't funny. Exactly. So it's like it really adds so such a layer of like you just always want to kill. And I know every comedian always wants to kill. but it it's just so every little detail you have to take in consideration and like even from show to show like club shows are so different than like a Brooklyn bar show and another thing i've been working on is just finding material that like really plays in both settings because like at some shows, if I talk about sex, that's a, they don't want to hear me. They don't. They just they're like over it. They're like we don't want to sex a female sex comic. But then there are shows where the only thing they want to hear me talk about is sex. So it's really finding the balance of like what am I comfortable talking about and in what way
0: so that I'm still representing who I am, but I'm like pleasing the audience as well. The thing you said about if you are not funny, then women are not funny, just as a blanket statement. I think that's something that like any minority kind of has to. Totally. If they're the the only
1: black person on the show, if they're the only gay person. Exactly. It's really – it's a lot to put on someone. And, like, you know, we're putting it on ourselves. No one's forcing me to do comedy. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to do it. And I I think I do have something to say. And I I like to have that opportunity to say it. But it definitely – you know, there will be times where I'll walk out of a show and just be like, oh, God. Like that. Women. Yeah. I'm sure people are walking out thinking, like, oh, there's another girl talking about, like, fucking dudes. Like – but, you know, I speak from my experience and I think I've gotten more confident in the last, like, year or so. Just being like, yeah,
0: this is who I am. Well, I thank you for being part of that charge. so great. It's so great. It's so great. It's so but I'm, like, it's, it is true that, like, nothing's going to change. And you said it too, like, women have created this moment for themselves. So, like... If you didn't do it, if if Tina Fey wasn't doing it. Like, everyone needs to be doing it in order for it to get a little bit better a for the next bit. person.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, even just seeing from, like, Tina Fey being the head writer and then having a couple shows – like, these shows she made, Amy Poehler, Broad City, Amy Schumer. Like, those people were so important to see when I was even considering mm-hmm. dipping my toe in the water. And now it's like we have a lot more opportunity. But I think, again, it's, it's really just – come from within and I noticed when I started it's it's really hard as a woman in comedy to be happy sometimes for other women succeeding because it feels like there's really not enough seats at the table for everyone. And that's something I've struggled with a lot. Because when I first started, Mm. there was nobody that was like, let me help you. Like, I'm going to show you the ropes, bring you under my wing. Or there was no like level of camaraderie where I would see men who could like easily form relationships because they didn't feel like they were competing with each other. Whereas women always feel that way. Or at least in my experience. So something that I've really tried to do now that I... And it's not like I'm like super successful or anything. But I do try to like help people. I think that's something that... If I help someone, then maybe they'll be more inclined to do it, and you know, it's not this like crazy noble thing that I'm doing, but I think just no, being, it is. Being a like down a good, Yeah, like yeah. being a good person, being like open and approachable. I'm just gonna be that person because I can't. And I think that surprises people sometimes because I think people do make a lot of assumptions about me just from my, like, how I look and how I dress and mm-hmm. how I carry myself. So I think people are really surprised when I'm, like, actually nice. Right. Which oh, is it's a great <laughs> moment. It's a great yeah. moment to see the look on their face when they're like, oh, she's not a huge <laughs> bitch. Like, that's insane.
0: But I love that, subverting expectations. The thing that you said, too, about men being kind. The scenes. They're the network execs. They're the ones behind the cameras. They're all of that. I wrote my thesis on the underrepresentation of women in comedy. And oh wow, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah, and one. And you know what? It, you know what? It is crazy because I graduated in two thousand and. 14 and it's five years later and it's like the hottest subject now and I'm like "Mm, okay you should revisit that and like pitch it to like New York mag or something oh I'm sure I really should hey New York mag New York mag if you're listening the daily listen we are here (laughs) there is a thesis it's written let us know yeah my point is that I had to read these books, Joan Rivers' books, mm-hmm. and she talked a lot about how she was a talk show host, but it was impossible because there weren't any female talk show late night hosts. And now there's like one. Yeah, that, there's one. And she's so good. Yeah. But Joan Rivers, her show got canceled because it was the same stuff that you're talking about. It was the men who were watching the late night TV who were saying – you know what? She's not funny. But We're they're And they're not her.
1: the target demo. No. I think that's something too that I have the awareness. I know my comedy is not for everyone. It's a little bit dark. It's very like social commentary. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people might be uncomfortable. I talk about death. I talk about things that are going on in my life. I want my first special to be called Not For Everyone. I know I'm not. But like it's the people that I resonate with are the people I want to be resonating with. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm like most proud of that I've made is a short film called Mary Beth's Sex Tape. Oh, I've watched it. Basically, that movie, the concept, and essentially, like, female comedians are willing to work so hard. All com- Comedy's very hard. I don't think there's lazy people that have been successful in comedy because it's just so hard. But what I wanted to convey with that is just that, like, you get to a point where it's just like, yeah, I will literally leak my own sex tape. I will script and leak my own sex tape just because it feels like sometimes that's, like, you really just don't have options. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, it's... It always just feels like the cards are stacked against you. And like, yes, there are more women in power than there probably ever have been, But a lot of the gatekeepers are still men and they're still going to most of most and they're still going to be booking people who they find funny. So unless you have some kind of appeal to them for what on whatever level, if it be, you know, they want to fuck you or they think you're funny. It's just you, you have to really
0: like it's a balance. Mm-hmm. You have to find where the line is. And what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a strong believer of just putting out what you want. Because I think that it comes, the following follows. You know what I mean? It's like when you put your stuff out there that you really believe in, that is authentic, that is genuine from your heart. It's a labor of love and you really believe in it. It's going to resonate with people. And it's the right people that it's going to resonate with. It's the people you want it to resonate with. It's what you... what.
1: The things I get motivated to actually make and do are the things that I find funny. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's like
0: there's no point. Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely a lot of like self-starting and motivation. People will always ask me to like, how did you start a web series? How did you start a podcast? And my advice to them is always just, just do it just because do it. it's never going to grow or get better. There's no there's no better than if you just start. Just do it. And like I cannot watch my first episode of my web series. It's so horrendous, but it never would have gotten to the to the latest iteration of it had I never started. Exactly. And also it's never been easier to make stuff.
1: Like Oh my god. My friend and I used to work at the same company and we made a web series called Weenies where we filmed it on our phone with a tripod and we would just pass the phone back and forth. Like it's not well shot, certainly, but the comedy's there, you can hear us. Like, if you want to make it, just do it. Exactly. And it sounds – I think that's another part where I'm like, oh, it's the privilege. Because, like, my whole life I've been told you can do whatever you want. And so to me thinking about, okay, I want to make a sketch series with my friend. Like, I'm just going to do it. Of course I'm just going to make it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's people who don't have, like, the self-assuredness to just kind of go out on a limb and do it. And, like, you know, we both have MacBooks. My friend edited the whole Mm -hmm. thing in Premiere because she Mm -hmm. bought the – like, there's just – there's still a lot there that mm-hmm. you could unpack from just like a, we have access to resources mm-hmm. and we have an office cause we have day, a day
0: job. Like mm-hmm. we shot in our office while work was going on and we didn't. That's a luxury, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, speaking of smartphones. So the mm-hmm. story that you told at game night was uh. that you got a flip phone, which when you told that story, I was like, wait a second. I have like had that thought, but never actually thought about doing it. And you really inspired me. Wow. I don't have one. But yeah. But I'm, sure you I'm like, about it. oh wow, this girl really did it. I maybe should look into it. Can you please tell us about that? And I will. Where you're at now with that.
1: Yes. So I have obviously I check my phone compulsively. Mm-hmm. It's like a habit I know is bad. I actually I think texting is fine. Like I like communicating with people. I like FaceTime, I like texting, I like talking on the phone. That's great. That's all healthy and good. I think it gets to an unhealthy point when basically at my day job, because I want to be doing creative things, like when I get frustrated or bored at my day job, I'm like checking my phone constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's not just at work, it happens on the weekends too, but I got to a point where I was like checking it so often and I would end up just scrolling through things I didn't care about, didn't want to see, then I would see something that just like would... Like, set me off, and then I would put my phone down. But then 15 minutes later, I'd pick it back up, check it, check it, check it. Oh, I've seen everything. I'm gonna. It's just so, it's just, it's not. It is so toxic. It's a time suck. It's toxic. It will affect you emotionally. I'm like a pretty self-aware person, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to just kind of get ahead of this. And I had thought about getting a flip phone for a while, and then I finally said, I'm just going to order it and see what happens. So I got a number added to my sister's phone plan. I ordered the flip phone. It's like pretty basic. It has a camera, but it doesn't do much else besides text, call, camera. So I got it and I said, okay, I'm going to leave my phone at home during the day. When I'm at work, I'm going to bring the flip phone. Maybe 10 people have the flip phone number. I would give it to someone if I had plans with them after work so that I knew I could contact them if I needed to. So I've been doing that for a few weeks whenever I'm at work. And it's like, I, I still have email on my computer. I can look at Instagram. I can look at Twitter, but I'm not on it for nearly as long. Because when you're scrolling with your finger, you can really just scroll for hours and days. I put a two hour limit on social media on my phone. I was hitting it like at three o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. like I I don't even know how that's possible it's those like short spurts you don't really think are mm-hmm. that impactful but you're on it for two hours mm-hmm. of your waking time mm-hmm. I just feel like that was a waste so I've been bringing my phone my flip phone to work and it's been uh, honestly amazing
0: so you're still doing it I'm
1: still doing it I will say to be fully honest so I brought my iPhone. Basically, I said, I'm going to do this if it ever impacts my career negatively. Because you don't know, like, who's texting you throughout the day. People book shows last minute. Usually it's through email, but you just don't know. On Thursday of this week, I had my phone. I did bring my phone to work my iPhone, but I kept it off. My roommate emailed me and said, check your text. I just sent you something important. It ended up. it was, like, a funny thing. It wasn't actually super – it was important, but it wasn't, like, you know, life-changing. So I had a DM from someone who wanted to book me on a show that night and I was like, "Oh shit! I wouldn't have seen this if I if I hadn't turned my phone on. I would have totally missed the opportunity. So now I'm kind of at like an impasse where I just don't know what to
0: do. Damn, that sucks yeah. because it's so true. Like, we're I'm I'm fully I'm addicted. I'm Dolly Mackler and I'm an addict. Right? Like fully addicted to my phone. It, but it's it's a tool.
1: Here's the thing I think about all the time. People like our parents and their parents, they were able to talk to one person at a time. They were able to have a conversation with one person at a time. I am talking to anywhere between mm-hmm. 30 and 1,200 people at any given time. Uh huh. So it's like, I just don't think people need that much access to me, nor do they want it, or probably they're not asking for it. So it's like, I just want to limit that for my own mental health and emotional health. But when it starts to impact my career negatively, like... If I had missed that show, I would have been so upset. Right. I would have been really upset. Of course. That's so, an opportunity. And I just don't – so I don't know. And Instagram doesn't have DMs on the computer. So you want to check that. You don't know. That you have a DM waiting for you. So it's really to the point where I need to just figure out, like, what the balance is. Because, you know, my I talked to my brother about it. And he was like, well, what if you just check your phone a few times during the day? But you can't just check it a few times. Mm. You can't just turn it on – Answer a few texts and then turn it off because now you're in a conversation. If I get a text and I don't answer it, that's not a conversation yet. But once you start responding, and then you pick it up to see if you got, got a text back, and then you open Instagram,
0: and then you open Twitter, and like I'm just I can't I can't live like that right now. You know what? I think we just I think we just figured out. I think Instagram needs to just create. Remember how Facebook had messages. Messenger, yeah. Why we need that? I know.
1: I've actually been thinking about that a lot because, but I, I don't know if they'll do it. I don't know because they want to drive traffic to the mobile app to, and to the addicts.
0: Yeah, it's all about the addiction. It is, and so Damn. I. Damn. But it, could, that would be so great just that, to have that. Then I because, wouldn't need
1: my phone because I have Messenger. Right. I and you. I don't actually have my personal Facebook profile anymore. I got rid of that a while ago because I hate it. Yeah. Um, but You can still have Messenger without a profile. Oh. Ah. So I have Messenger. I still have email. I have. You know, Twitter, if someone DMs me, I can see that on the computer. So I I really have access to like most channels on my computer, Mm -hmm. but um, that's the one. And of course, that's the one where like you could get a a good opportunity. So it's really just figuring out. But I I personally love the freedom of just having the flip phone. So sometimes I'll open it and check it, and of course, no one's texting me. That's so nice. (laughs) Why would you? And it takes me 20 minutes to respond. Because you have to type it out one letter at a time. T9? Are you T9-ing? I just do the tap because, like, T9 actually is very hard for me. <laughs> it's, like, I, I haven't gotten used to it again yet. I mean, this is, like, a – I'm I'm I have to make some decisions Okay. Out. I just, like, love that you got a flip phone. I just think it's to the point where, like, you can take control of your own habits and –
0: that's a habit I don't like about myself. And so I'm going to try to change it. Love it. Self-aware. I actually just listened to this podcast where this girl was talking about how she goes to Burning Man. Um, and she was like, I know. Okay. Well,
1: Moment of silence. Choice. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So she goes to Burning Man. And she's like, the reason I really love it is because I don't have my phone for a week. And I go, yeah, like, eye-roll. But that,
1: no, it's not. It's like, I'm eye-rolling at the concept that you literally need to be in a desert with no satellites to just not use your phone. Yeah,
0: but she was like, there's one week a year where everyone knows it's where I am. I tell all my business contacts. All my family knows I'm there. I'm just, I'm not reachable. And that's the end of the story. And she's like, it is so freeing. And then she was like, when I got back and just turned my phone on, like, she's like, I felt like my, my shoulders cramped, like yeah. immediately, just yeah. turning it back on. Oh, you
1: carry the stress in so many different ways. And I think be, having people having access to you all the time, obviously yeah. it's great if it's leading to opportunities, but most of the time, maybe 1% of the time it's leading to opportunities and the rest is like, mm-hmm. you're just feeding this addiction that's not serving you at all. And so I think if we could have more times, like instead of a week, a year where you just condense it all, it could be spread out. Mm-hmm. Like you could just be like, yeah, I'm actually... During the day, Monday through Friday, I'm reachable at this number if it's an emergency or email me. Like, there's still so many ways to contact me when I'm not on my phone. But honestly, I think we are reaching a point where people are just like, yeah, I'm over this. I'm done. Right? You don't need to. We've, re- re- just we've like reached we- Yeah. yeah. There's nothing new you can put on my phone that's going to make me, like, that's going to change it for me. Yeah. I'm just, like, sick of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I get to a point where I'm, like, famous and I have an assistant and they can hold my phone and I won't be checking mm-hmm. it. Like, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. Yeah. But in the meantime, I need to be able to,
0: like, check myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just what I'm trying to do right now. Okay. I have two final questions for you. One is, what is your dream job? Job, dream, life. Like, what is the vision? I am
1: very open about my big dreams and goals I think when people ask me like whose career do you want I look at Amy Schumer who was like a huge reason why I got into comedy and I look at the Broad City Girls and I think it's not just that they have so much success but they're able to they're in control of their own success and I want to be on TV I want to be in movies I want to I want to bring like what I think is funny to people who would also think it's funny on like a big scale so like for example the show that I want to do about immigration and highlighting immigrants like I could probably make that as a web series myself but I want people to see it so I could get a few hundred views maybe a few thousand whatever but it's like if I had a partner that had more reach that's the goal is Mm -hmm. to just get people to see it so some art you make because you want to make it other art you make because you want people to see it and that would
0: be An example of something I want people to see. So cool. Great answer. I think that's... It's so vague. Yeah. But in a really right way. I
1: think some people get embarrassed when they have, like, these huge grandiose ideas. But, like, if that's what you want to do and you can't even talk about it because you're embarrassed... Like, I have all moments of self-doubt just like any other performer, creative, probably any other person in the world. But I truly believe that I'll be successful. So talking about it is not... I don't think there's going to be a gotcha moment where like people are going to be like, you didn't do this Mm because I think I'm genuinely going to be able to do everything I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's how I really
0: feel. Hell yeah. Yeah. What's the, one of the best piece of advice that you've been given or that you think that you've come up with on your own?
1: All right. I'm going to think about this for a second. We'll do another moment of silence for Burning Man. Okay. Um, (laughs) I think the best piece of advice I've been given, okay, this is something I did want to talk about. So I'm glad you asked. Okay. There are a lot of things that have a clear defined path and there are gatekeepers keepers stopping you from accomplishing what you want to do. What I decided early on, and I still trip up on this too, is don't put anyone between you and your dreams. So basically the way that I do that is focus on getting really good at standup. Get yourself booked on shows by being undeniably funny and work on getting good at stand-up and the rest will follow. If your goal is to like, get on SNL, Lauren Michaels, and a whole bunch of other people are in the way of you and that goal. I remember auditioning to be on a house team at UCB. The artistic director and a bunch of other teachers were in between me and that goal. So I sat back and I thought, what are goals that I can have that nobody is standing in my way? And those are the ones that if you really put time and effort into, like, that's what's going to reap the rewards. So I don't, I mean, it's not revolutionary, but it's like, no, that's just a good don't answer. Be, don't be such like a, I guess just don't, don't hit your wagon to something that there's people in your way. Cause it's just going to be impossible to, to please them. Some people are able to, like they get put on house teams. People get cast on SNL. Those are just two examples. But like for me, just getting really good stand up is what I can control.
0: I love that. Well, okay, so where can people see more? I want you
1: to do, like, a a, a shameless plug. Plug. Always shameless. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Marybeth Barone. I'm on Twitter at Marybeth Barone. I have a monthly show at the Public Hotel, which you should come to on February 22nd.
0: Oh, it's it's at the Public Hotel? I didn't even know that they did that.
1: Yeah, it's super fun and, like, cool, and then it turns into a club after, which is fun. Fun. And then I'm doing a show at Union Hall on March 18th. It's called drag his ass, and it's a fuckboy uh, treatment program. So basically, I'm inviting other <laughs> female comedians to do storytelling and get. I have an, a gay guy on it as well, um, just to talk about like about fuckboys and um, how we can be better. Do you name the fuckboys? I haven't decided. I might. I might actually really drag people. In this show. I've, I really don't know yet. It depends how, like, vindictive I'm
0: feeling in the moment. Right, but. right. Okay, game time decision. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love that. Okay, so great. Thank you Thank so you. much. This was so fun. And everyone go follow and go watch. Follow, like, rug. subscribe, all, all of things. things.